Welcome to Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall. The Lord Jesus was a Bible preacher. Here's what Jesus did He explained the Bible, He applied the Bible. His words are the heart of the Bible. Now, a preacher can be a country preacher, and that's okay. I like country preachers. Some of the best preachers I've ever heard didn't get any kind of formal theological education, but they were students of the Word of God, and, you know, they they preached with that good old country accent. I love it. I like a good old country preacher. I also like intellectual preachers that will challenge my heart and mind and challenge me with stuff I hadn't even thought about. And they do it with such an inspirational way, you know. And I like a, a preacher with a sense of humor. Jesus had a sense of humor. You know, he called James and John the sons of thunder. And he talked about a dude with a log hanging out of his eye trying to get a speck out of somebody else's eye. And the crowd laughed at that. Jesus had a sense of humor. I like a, a, a loud preacher. Now, some of them can get too loud, but that's okay. And then it's okay to be a soft-spoken preacher. Uh, a preacher can be a long-winded preacher. Those are our favorite preachers, right? <laughs> Told somebody one time, I'm a 45-minute preacher stuck in a 30-minute world. Oh, well. Preacher can be a short-winded preacher, somewhere in between. But above all, for a preacher to be the preacher that God wants him to be, he must be a Bible preacher. When Paul was speaking to Timothy, his young protege, he wrote to Timothy and he said, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. And Jesus was a Bible preacher. In his Sermon on the Mount, a sermon he preached. Jesus, here's what Jesus does. He sets the standard for how Christians are to live in this world. How are we as Christians to live in this world, in a fallen world, in an unbelieving world? We're to be different. Uh, we're to have a different kind of language, different kind of lifestyle different kind of values. Those values are set by the Bible, by the Word of God, by heaven. We're to be led by the Holy Spirit. There's to be a different kind of life for those who follow Jesus Christ. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't address every issue that we'll face in this world and doesn't deal with everything that we'll have to deal with in this world. But what he does is he sets a standard for how Christians are to live in this world so that we can make a difference for God. We are called to make a difference. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. As Christians, we're called to make a difference for Jesus in this world. The Lord didn't save you to just sit soaking sour. He saved you to make a difference in this world. And so Jesus addresses many things in the Sermon on the Mount. And he gives us instruction on how we as Christians ought to live. And how Christians ought to live is different from the rest of the world. And, but always remember, God gives us resources to help us to live differently. You know, 
The Lord doesn't save us and then say, well, do the best you can to do the best you can. The Lord saves us and then he gives us help to live the life he wants us to live. The Holy Spirit of God lives within us as we rely on the Holy Spirit of God, as we're filled by the Holy Spirit of God. He empowers us to live the life that God would have us to live. He gave us the word of God. He gave us prayer. He gave us the fellowship of the church. The Lord gives us many resources that we can rely on and we can give ourselves to, to help us to live that different kind of life. You know, when Noah built the ark, he didn't put a bunch of pegs on the outside of the ark and told his family to hang on the best they could. <laughs> he told his family, God told his family, and Noah and his family to get in the ark. We're not to just hold on to do the best we can. As Christians, God gives us resources to be able to live the life that he would have us to live. Now, in these verses, Jesus talks about our attitude toward the Bible. What is the attitude that Christians are to have toward the Bible? Now, some people in this world just ignore the Bible. They never read the Bible. They don't care about the Bible. They're not really against the Bible. They're not really for the Bible. To them, the Bible's irrelevant. They just ignore it, have no need for it. They dismiss it. Uh, some in our, our society dismiss the Bible as a bunch of fairy tales, a bunch of myths, made up stuff. Uh, they dismiss the Bible as no more special than any other book. And they put the Bible in the same category with other so-called religious books and nothing outstanding about the Bible, nothing special about the Bible. Some people attack the Bible viciously. The Bible has been one book that has been attacked more than any other book in human history. And they, many people attack the Bible as being false and if you believe all that stuff in the Bible, you must be an idiot. Something must be wrong with you, <clears throat> believing all of that stuff. Some people say, well, you know, the Bible's okay, but it's too hard for me to understand. Well, you know, these are the same people who will go to work and they have a manual that thick for how to carry out their job. And they'll remember that manual and they'll carry out their job to a T. And then they'll say, well, the Bible's too hard for me to understand. And we've got a lot of resources to help us to understand the Bible. There are many good translations that relate to how we read and how we understand things that are good translations. Not all translations are good, but there are many good translations in our English language to help us to understand the Bible. Study Bibles. You know, get you a good study Bible. Invest a little bit in a Bible. Get you a good study Bible. It's got, got commentary at the bottom of the page to help you to understand what you're reading. A lot of good study Bibles. A lot of good com of, uh, commentaries on the Bible and uh, translations on the Bibles. No, the Bible's not too hard to understand. Listen, I've just completed my 29th time of reading the Bible through in a year, or sometimes it takes me more than a year. 29 times. And I've said it often, and I'll say it again. Here's what I've discovered. The more I know about the Bible, the more I realize how little I know about the Bible. The Bible just continues to amaze me. And you see, the Bible doesn't change, but you do. When the first time I read through the Bible, 29 times or 28 times ago, first time I read through the Bible, I'm a lot different now. 
Now, the Bible doesn't change, but I change. My experiences change. My ability to understand things change. And so while the Bible is the same, I'm different. So every time I read it through, I get something different. And I see something different. And there's just something about the Bible. It is a special book. It is a powerful book. Now, we don't worship the Bible, but we worship the God of the Bible. And the Bible is a life-changing book. It is a book that will make a difference in your life. Now, you don't remember what you had for lunch last Thursday. But what you had for lunch last Thursday fed you, made you a little stronger, gave you nutrition, gave you what you needed to, to have to be able to get through the day. You may read stuff in the Bible and you think you forget it, but when you read it, it did feed your soul. It didn't make a difference in your soul. And so I would encourage you to read the Bible. Now in these verses, Jesus tells, talks about our relationship to the Bible as Christians. The Bible is absolutely vital to us to live the Christian life that God would have us to live. And so here's what Jesus says about the Bible. First of all, he talks about the subject of the Bible. Now, in these verses, Jesus deals with an accusation that had been leveled against him. And one of the accusations leveled against, the Je against Jesus was, well, he's just bringing something new. He wants to do away with the Bible and replace it with his teachings. He just wants to, to erase everything that's in the law and the prophets and replace it with his teachings. And Jesus countered that. Verse 17, do not think that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus said, I haven't come to destroy the Old Testament. I have come to fulfill it. Now, you know, there have been some, I guess, eh, prominent pastors who have made comments in the past years about we don't need the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not for modern day Christians. And let me give you a theological response to that. That's baloney. The Old Testament is just as inspired as the New Testament. The Old Testament, what you find out about God and the principles of how we are to live for God and the truths that are found in the Old Testament are just as applicable today as they were the day they were written. Yes, the Old Testament is absolutely important for how we are to live in this world and how we are to understand God. Yes, there are a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that are kind of challenging for us. Did you know that the phrase, many, many tickle your farson is in the Bible? <laughs> I love that. My grandchildren love that. Many, many tickle your farson. Anybody know what that is? That's the handwriting on the wall. Well, that old king, Daniel came in and you know, the, the, they were having a party. That old king saw a handwriting on the wall, the handwriting on the wall. You know what was written? Many, many tickle your farson. <laughs> oh, Daniel came in there and said, well, king, basically what that means is you're done, buddy. And your kingdom is a well. Now, the Old Testament is very important. Jesus tells us how important it is. He says, I have come to fulfill the Old Testament. Now, you get a coloring book, you know, a coloring book. Do they still make coloring books? I guess they do. 
You get a coloring book and you have the outline. You have that just, you know, the black outline of whatever the thing is, and you are able to get the colors and fill it in, right? Whatever color you want to fill it in. If you want to make an elephant purple, have at it. You get to fill it in. Well, here's what Jesus says. He came to fill in the outline of the Old Testament. He came to fill full the meaning of the Old Testament. Jesus said, I haven't come to destroy it. I've come to fulfill it. Now, Jesus fulfilled the moral law of the Old Testament. He did it by living a perfect life. He never sinned, never broke an Old Testament law. He never failed to treat others as they ought to be treated, as love and the law required. So Jesus fulfills the moral law of the Old Testament by living a perfect life, a morally perfect life. Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. All of those sacrifices. See, when you read the Bible through, you get to Leviticus and you start reading about all of those sacrifices and you say, what? <laughs> That's the chapter. Most people who want to read the Bible through, they can do pretty good until they get to Leviticus. You know, so get you a good study Bible, get an English translation, read through that. It's important. You know, some of it will stick. Some of it will get you, you know. But all of the sacrifices, all of the offerings, all of the ceremonies, all of the types, all of the symbols of the Old Testament, all of those things have a point. They all pointed forward, they all pictured, and they all find their fulfillment in the person, the life, and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. They all point to Jesus. So the ceremonial law is all about Jesus. Their meaning, the meaning of those things. The types and the symbols of the Old Testament all point to Jesus. They find their fulfillment in Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the judicial law of the Old Testament. He kept the law perfectly in letter and in spirit. So he fulfilled the judicial law. He fulfilled the, the prophets. What the prophets talked about. There are over 330 prophets, prophecies in the Old Testament that were literally fulfilled when Jesus came into the world the first time. Many more will be fulfilled when he comes again. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets and the prophecies of the Old Testament. So all of the Old Testament, not every part of the Bible is as inspiring as other parts of the Bible, but every part of the Bible is inspired by God. All of the Old Testament and all of the New Testament are fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. Amen. The villain in the Bible is Satan. He, those who follow him. Jesus is what the Bible is all about. If you read the Bible and you don't see Jesus, you're not reading the Bible right. In John 5, 39, Jesus said, You search the scriptures, for in them you think ye have eternal life. These, the scriptures, are those which testify of me. From Genesis to Malachi, all of the Old Testament points forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, I haven't come to destroy the Old Testament. It's just as much a part of the Word of God as the New Testament. 
It's just as inspired. Genesis 1-1 is just as inspired as John 3-16. Jesus said, I haven't come to destroy the Old Testament. I've come to fulfill its meaning. I'm what the Old Testament is about. The Old Testament points to me. You search the scriptures. They testify of me. So the subject of the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Jesus talked about the truth of the Bible. In Matthew 5.18, Jesus said that every word of the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, is true. And every word of the Bible will be fulfilled. He said, for assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth passed away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till it's all fulfilled. Now, the jot in Hebrew writing would be like the dot of an eye. It's just a little mark in Hebrew. Just a little mark, but that little mark's important because that little mark, when you find it present in a word, can change the whole pronunciation and the whole meaning of the word. So the jot is just like a little mark, like the dot of an eye. The tittle is like the cross of a T. Again, you'll find that element. You'll find that, that, that part of, of Hebrew writing, just these little markings. Just these little markings, but they're very important because they often determine how a word is pronounced and what a word means. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, not only are the books of the Bible inspired and true, not only are the chapters of the Bible inspired and true, not only are the words of the Bible inspired and true, but every letter of the Bible including the dot of every I and the cross of every T is inspired by God and absolutely true. Every promise, every prophecy, every principle, every word of the Bible is true. And listen, Jesus assures us that every word will be fulfilled. Every single syllable Every single word. The Bible's important. Jesus is stressing the importance of the Bible for us. We need to have the Bible as our good companion. We need to read it often. Get into the habit of reading the Bible. If you run into something you can't understand, call Brother Chris. If I can't understand it, I'll make up something that sounds good. I'm just kidding. You know I'm just kidding. If I can't understand it, and there's a lot in the Bible that challenges me, I'll try my best to research it, and we'll both learn about what is being said. When the Bible says there's only one God, and that one God is the God of the Bible, and that one God exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that is absolutely the truth. And there's no debate about it. When the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came into this world through the miracle of the resurrection and the virgin birth, that he was fully God and fully man, that he lived a perfect and sinless life, that he died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, that he arose from the grave and ascended into heaven, that is absolutely the truth. And there is no debate about it. When the Bible says that Jesus Christ is going to return one day to this earth, my friend, that is true. And that promise will be fulfilled. When the Bible says that salvation is the free gift of God, received through repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is true. 
When the Bible says that people who die in their sins without Christ will spend eternity in hell, and those who receive Christ as their Savior and Lord will spend eternity in heaven, that is absolutely the truth. The Bible is fully inspired. My friend, don't take your Bible home and just put it on the table. Don't think about it until the next week. If you're a child of God, you need the Bible. Develop you a good old plan of reading the Bible. You say, well, I don't... I don't know. So here's what you do. You start with the Gospels. Start with the Gospels. Then read the New Testament. Then say, well, I'll, I'll maybe read some of the prophets. Develop you a plan. Read the Bible. Try to understand the Bible. Get you some resources. You know, you can get 15 minutes to it a day, 20 minutes a day. Here's what I found out. You give 10 minutes to it a day. You give 10 minutes to prayer and to reading your Bible. 10 minutes. I mean, seriously, 10 minutes. You can do that. But here's what will happen as a Christian. You give 10 minutes, soon that 10 minutes becomes 15 minutes. And soon that 15 minutes becomes 20 minutes. And it begins to grow in your life. And you know what? You know when the time is when you need to pray the most? And when you need to read your Bible the most, you know what time that is? When you don't want to do it. The time you need to pray the most and read your Bible the most is when you don't want to do it. When there's something in you to say, I don't want to do this. Do it anyway. Because whatever that voice in is in you telling you not to do it, that is not God and that is not your friend. Do it anyway. I love to frustrate the devil. The devil will often come to me and say, Brother Chris, he calls me Brother Chris. Brother Chris, you got a lot to do today. Do you know what you got to do today? Look at all this stuff you got to do today. And just think, let's get to it. Let's do it right now. You don't really need to pray. You don't need to waste an hour praying and reading your Bible and all that. You don't need to do that. We got a lot to do. Let's do it. And you know what I say to, to the devil? Get thee behind me, Satan. Don't you know he hates hearing that? I say, nope, the best time-saving device I have in my life is to spend that time with the Lord in prayer and reading the Word of God. That sets the stage for everything else to just fall into place. And so when you need to pray and read your Bible, you don't feel like doing it, do it anyway. Tell the devil, I've got some business with God I need to do. And so in this, Jesus is talking about our relationship to the Bible. The subject of the Bible is Jesus himself. He fills it full of meaning. The truth of the Bible is undeniable. Every dot of the I, every cross of the T is absolutely true and will be fulfilled. I know it's scoffed at today, the idea that Jesus Christ is coming again. You know, they scoffed at old brother Noah when he was out there in the middle of nowhere in the desert building a boat talking about rain and it had never rained on the earth at, uh, up to that time. They scoffed and made fun of him until the first drop started to fall. My friend, Jesus is coming again. He is coming again. Because the Bible says more about the first coming of Jesus than it does about his, or the second coming of Jesus than it does about his first coming. We have no question to celebrate Christmas and celebrate Jesus coming into the world as a baby. But then somehow we doubt the, the, what the same Bible teaches that he come, he's coming again as king. 
King of kings and Lord of lords. My friend, as he came the first time, he's coming again. And don't doubt it. Don't scoff at it. Put your faith in it. You know, faith means you believe it, whether you, 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 there's one part of you that says, I don't know if that's going to happen. Faith says, yeah, it's going to happen. Do you ever have those internal conversations? I do. You know, one part of me will say, I don't know about that. The good part of me will say, yeah, I do know about that. Be on the good side, not the bad side. So Jesus is talking about the Bible, the subject of the Bible, the truth of the Bible. And then finally he talks about the judgment of the Bible. In Matthew 5, 19, Jesus gives a dire warning to those who reject the truth and the authority of the word of God. And he gives a dire warning to those who teach others to do so. Verse 19, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does not, or whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now to be least in the kingdom of heaven is equivalent to being left out of the kingdom of heaven. To be great in the kingdom of heaven is to be included in the kingdom of heaven. Those people who are lost are lost because they reject Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they reject Jesus because they reject the truth, the testimony, and the authority of the Word of God. To reject Jesus is to reject the Word of God because it's the Word of God that tells us about Jesus. How do we know about Jesus? How do we know about who He was? How do we know about what He did? How do we know about the cross? How do we know about salvation? We know it from the Word of God. It's in the Word of God. Now, if you reject Jesus, you reject the Word of God. And those who are lost are lost because they reject Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And they reject Jesus as their Savior and Lord because they reject the truth, the testimony, and the authority of the Word of God. Jesus gives this warning. You reject the Word of God, then you reject me. And you'll be out of the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, woe to the preacher. Woe to the teacher. Woe to the church who rejects the truth and the authority of the word of God and teaches others to do so. When I stand in this pulpit, you're going to hear the word of God. And you're going to hear me respect the Word of God and preach and teach the Word of God as God's inspired, infallible, and inerrant Word. That doesn't mean I can answer every question about the Bible. That doesn't mean I have all of the answers about the Bible. But it does mean that I have come to the decision that I'm going to believe what the Bible says about itself. That it is God's inspired, infallible, and inerrant Word. Woe to the preacher. Woe to the teacher. Woe to the church that will reject the truth and the authority of the word of God and teaches true that which the Bible says is not true. And my friend, there are many churches in America today that have embraced things that are condemned by the word of God and celebrate them and teach them as true. Woe to the parent who rejects the word of God themselves and by their example and actions and words teach their children to do so as well. 
There's a lot of things your children need to know about you and your grandchildren need to know about you. Here's the most important thing. They need to know that you love Jesus and that you're, you may not be perfect, but your faith and your trust in Jesus is real. And they can see it in how you live. And they can see it in your love for God's word. And they can just see it in how you conduct yourself. Listen, you know, I'm a dollar heir. You know, there's some people who are a millionaire and all that. I'm a dollar heir. That's what I'm talking about. But I'm not complaining because you stack up all of us against some people in the, in the world and we would be mega rich in their eyes. Now, we don't judge ourselves as that. But you put us in some other countries with what we have and we would be among the elites. There's so many people who have so much less than we do. But here's, here's the legacy. Here's my inheritance that I want to give my children and grandchildren. When I'm dead and gone, I want them to say, my daddy and my granddaddy loved Jesus. And he wanted to live for him and honor him. And he wasn't perfect, but he was real. And he was true. Woe to the parent. Woe to the parent who makes fun of the word of God and who by their example, actions, and words teach their children to ignore God's word. Woe to anyone who rejects the truth and the authority of God's word and influences others to do so. And so Jesus, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches us about our relationship to the word of God. I love Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. It's one of the clearest statements of the Bible's sufficiency, truth, and authority. Listen to Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The Bible converts the soul by pointing lost sinners to Jesus. The Bible makes the simple wise by revealing God's truth. The Bible rejoices the heart by leading us in the right ways of living, and those ways lead us to joy. The Bible enlightens our eyes by revealing the truth of who we are, where we came from, where we're going, and what is important in life. The Bible endures forever. The truth of the Bible is unchanging. It is always relevant. The Bible reveals the true God and the holy reverence that is due Him. The Bible is true and righteous altogether. It reveals to us the righteous judgments of God. And the Bible tells us the truth about life and death and God and man and sin and right and heaven and hell and joy and peace. You know, I love the Gideons. Gideons love the Bible. I love the Gideons. And maybe soon we'll have a Gideon speaker. I love the Gideons and their commitment to the word of God. Do you know that they have a little thing they put in their Bibles, a little statement about the Bible? I love it. And it's something we need to remember. Here's what that little statement says. The Bible contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. And its decisions are immutable, unchanging. 
Read the Bible to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, the com- and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, and the soldier's sword and the Christian charter. In the Bible, paradise is restored. Heaven is open. The gates of hell are disclosed. Christ is its grand subject. Our good is the design of the Bible. The glory of God is the end of the Bible. It should fill the memory. It should rule the heart. It should guide the feet. Read it slowly. Read it frequently. Read it prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given to you in life. It will be opened at your judgment. It will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility. It will reward the greatest labor and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. That's the Bible. So Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you want to live for me in this world? One essential thing you need is the Bible. Put it in your heart. Put it in your mind. I know some people pray sometimes, Oh God, speak to me. As you spoke to Moses, as as you spoke to this prophet or that prophet, Oh Lord, speak to me. And I can hear from heaven. Hello? I am speaking to you. You want to hear the voice of God? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Because in the Bible... God speaks to us. Now, the Bible helps us to know how to be saved. You know, when I got saved, you know what the preacher did? He took out the Reader's Digest. And he said, I I got a little thing here from Norman Vincent Peale on how you can have a positive life. He didn't do that. You know what he did? He took the Word of God. And he opened up to Romans chapter 10. And he said, you want to give your life to Christ? Here's what you must do. You must believe in me. And he went through me and he helped to share with me what it meant to be a Christian. He opened up the word of God. Then he said, you want to be saved? I said, I do want to be saved. I'm tired of living with me. I want to be somebody different. And he helped me to know Jesus. And he helped me to pray a prayer of repentance and a prayer of faith. And on that day, God changed my life. He changed my life, and I ain't got over it yet. He saved me. He changed me. I don't worry about the future. It's in his hands. I know where I came from, and it ain't no monkey. I know where I'm going. I have peace in my life. Do I have challenges? Yes. But I trust the Lord in those things. He and I may have discussions about what's happening, and I may give the Lord advice about what he needs to do. (laughs) The Lord don't listen. He just says, well, this is the best way. I'm so glad I'm saved. I'm so glad I'm saved. I'm so glad for what God has done in my life. And listen, what he's done for me, he'll do for you. He will forgive you of your sins. He will make you a new person. He will change your life. He will change your destiny. 
He will fill you with his presence. He will make you a new person if you will give your life to him and trust to him. You say, that's all I have to do to be saved. You can't save yourself. Only God can. You give your life to Christ. He does the saving. He does the changing. And he'll give you a new heart and mind. He'll make your life brand new. Thank you for joining us for our program today. Truths for Life with Pastor Teacher Chris Hall is a presentation of Hall Sports Communications. To contact us, you can send an email to chrishall71 at hotmail.com. That's chrishall71 at hotmail.com. Be sure to join us for our next program. Until then, stay safe and may God bless you.